Uh, is there a problem, officer? Yes, you've gotten a noise complaint. Good afternoon, everybody. You've got it tuned to CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting live from the University of British Columbia, which is situated on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Musqueam people. And we broadcast to the unceded and ancestral territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil people in the city that we refer to as Vancouver. It's great to be with you. My name is Jasper. You are listening to Noise Complaint. It's been a while since we've done an episode of the show, but it's great to be back. We have a really cool episode today. Uh, I'm joined on the phone by Ian Cromwell, who is a name that I'm sure many of you will recognize. You may recognize Ian's name um, from his many, many years as a musician and performer here in Vancouver. You may recognize his name as a really uh, uh, prolific uh, community organizer in the music scene through uh, Locals Lounge. You may also recognize Ian's name because Ian is running for city council this year with One City Vancouver. Uh, so Ian's on the on the line with me, and we're going to chat, uh, get to know Ian a bit better, and talk about talk about uh, what is happening with his election, what he hopes to achieve, and uh, hopefully we learn a little bit more about Ian and his platform. So hello, Ian, can you hear me? Okay. It's great to be with you, man. It's so great to be with you, Ian. Um, uh, I hope I did an okay job with that introduction. There's there's so many things oh, that you do, um, and I've I've actually <laughs> learned a lot more about you. Um, I mean, you and I have known each other for a while now, but I've learned a, a lot more about, you know, your background um, and, and sort of your non-musical life uh, lately. But, um, you know, for everyone else listening, um, you know, what maybe give 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 tell, tell everyone a little bit more about you, Ian, and sort of your overall background, you know, with music and how it sort of how it led you to uh, to one city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was I was born in Vancouver. Um, and my family moved away. I moved back at the end of 2009. Um, I had been playing, uh, I'm a classically trained viola player, and I've been playing in string quartets and symphonies and stuff, um, but I also self-taught on guitar, and I had started, you know, doing the open mic thing and, and had kind of really gotten a taste for performing pop music Um and so when I moved back to Vancouver, I didn't really know a lot of people. I started going to open mics. And I started going to local shows and I started meeting people within the music community. And it was such a like welcoming environment for me. And I felt this really strong sense of connection to the city that I could, you know, walk into places and run into people who I knew. And it made me feel very much at home. And then as I spent more time in Vancouver, I started to hear from other people how rare that was how alienated and isolated they felt mm -hmm. and also I knew from you know trying to organize my own shows and trying to uh you know from talking to other musicians talking about how hard it was to um for artists in Vancouver to make it because finding an audience was just such a challenge mm -hmm. and I realized you know that these are two problems that kind of solve each other mm -hmm. and um, if you go to a local show, you usually see it's other musicians in the crowd and it's, um, it's friends and family of the people who are on stage. And I, you know, I can't, I can't make more musicians, but I can absolutely help musicians make more friends. And I, so I got, um, the idea back in 2016, I was uh, offered the opportunity to program uh, a, a series, a local music series at the Belmont Bar, which is now closed. Uh, we'll probably talk about closing venues a lot <laughs> later. But um, so, yeah, the Belmont Bar offered me one night a month to program local music. And I said, well, instead of just doing a concert, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to give people an opportunity to meet local musicians in the same way that I meet them as human beings who play music as opposed to just entertainers. Mm. And so I started Locals Lounge back in 2016. It was this interview and performance series. Um, and it was great. And we, you know, the community around it started to, to build and grow and we got the opportunity to start doing more um, different kinds of shows, um, you know, programming 
uh, public space activations, doing referrals for other people who are looking for local music, I was able to sort of make some connections. Um, and, you know, charity shows, and just a bunch of different stuff. And this, this community of artists kind of started to flesh out um, into the beginning of 2020. And then, of course, the pandemic closed all of the venues down. Um, yeah. And all of the shows went away. And we were all sort of scrambling, especially in the early days before anyone had heard of CERB or knew that it was coming. All I knew was that all of my friends were suddenly out of work yeah. and scrambling. Um, and so uh, the team, Vocal Sponge team and I, uh, retooled the entire project to be an online thing. A lot of people were doing live streams. And we said, okay, well, we'll do interviews that plug into live streams. Um, and, you know, we, we, tried to keep the, we tried to keep the lights on that way. We got, we got some grant funding um, and just basically did whatever we could to keep um, the music community connected. Um, and, yeah, we ended up doing this big research project called The Constellation, where I re reached out to some other event organizers, music event organizers, and we did this collaborative research project where they ran we had a couple of um like online open mics and we had a songwriter series and had a, you know, a bunch of different things um and then we kind of got a chance to look at um who our audience was we collected little survey data about who they were and what they wanted and um so when things came back and we started seeing venues reopening and and we could have live music again and we had festivals and stuff back um, we sort of emerged with this new understanding of what the music community needed. Hmm. But also, post-pandemic, there's been this huge demand for local arts and culture, not just as we get you know, festivals back and they're looking to book artists, but as people are just looking for ways to get back out and in connection with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw all of this happening. And I realized that in many ways, um, either the city wasn't doing enough to help, you know, it's taking a very hands-off approach to a lot of the arts and culture activity that happens in the city, or uh, what's even worse is that it was putting up barriers and it was making it difficult for grassroots organizers like myself to actually, you know, find space to operate us find expertise, find funding, or a lot of things that the city had sort of put these um, unnecessary barriers in the way. And so I had been talking to um, one city, um, so one city is a political party, one city Vancouver. Mm -hmm. I've been talking to uh, Christine Boyle, who was elected um, from one city to city council. I'm just talking about all of this stuff with her. And she said, you know, like, this is, this is something that, that we need to get involved, like get into the political conversation because no one really talks about the impact that our arts and culture sector has on the city and how important it is uh, for these reasons of social connection and also just for like the local economy and things like that. Um, so she's like, you should, you should run. Um, you should join the team and run. So I do. How long ago was that conversation, Ian? That was almost... Just, just over a year ago. Wow. It would have been, you know, August. Yeah, August of uh, 2021. Man, there's so much you said that I want to, you know, unpack and talk about. You know, my, my first uh, encounter with you, Ian Cromwell, uh, was, was also at an open mic. And I love, I love, you know, I have a very, I had a very similar experience with the open mic scene here in Vancouver, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I started playing music. It, it was my, it was my entry point and it's where I made some of my closest friends today. And I remember seeing you play at, um, you remember that place, the King's Head down by the beach? Yes. You remember, I do. You remember that place with the cool like I balcony? Do. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I remember seeing you play there many, many times, like uh, at that open mic. Um, that was a good one. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, it, it's such an important um, touch point for for musicians here in Vancouver, and there's not many opportunities to do it. And I love what you've done with Locals Lounge 
um, not just it's not just a showcase, but it actually it's like you said, it is you have created a network of people. You you know, you stay in touch with people. You you your newsletter always has opportunities. You're always passing along opportunities to other musicians. And like, um, you know, I just I just think it's so great what you're doing. Uh, I had a really good time with you in I think it was 2019. We did one together. Um, yeah, it was January. Yeah. yeah, at the railway. Um there's really right. there's really nothing like it, Ian. There's no like long format, you know, chat chat showcase shows here in Vancouver and it's uh um so this this feels like a natural progression and and yeah, I I think um you know, the city does need to do more to like recognize the importance of of music to the local social and just the social economy and just the economy, you know, um, what, mm-hmm. you know, how much value it adds to the city. Um, so it's so great that you're advocating for this and for for um, for grassroots musicians here in Vancouver. Um, so what you know, moving like, can you talk a little bit about what your your platform as a potential city councilor would be for like supporting local musicians here in Vancouver? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the platform, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we put it together because cool. I also think that that's worth highlighting. Um, so like I said, I've been, you know, over, through the Constellation and through other aspects of Locals Lounge, I have been working and collaborating and sharing expertise with other local community organizers, mm. people who are putting on um, things like Locals Lounge, um, you know, and these are people who sort of built something out of nothing. And that's, you know, artists are some of the most economical people you'll ever meet because all of us have like nine jobs and we're all operating on tiny, tiny, tiny budgets and making these really like fully fleshed out and multifaceted things uh, based like out of nothing, you know, out of, you know, two Nokia razor phones tethered together and a, (laughs) you know, handful of string. Um, And, so I went to those people and I like I said, hey, you know, we've got an opportunity here to build an, a truly innovative arts and culture platform. Um, as a candidate, I think like my opinion carries a lot of sway within the process. And so instead of just going to a handful of, you know, um, the old boys club who are going to come up with the same set of ideas and make the same sort of vague promises about, Oh, we're going to have more grants and we're going to put arts and culture in places. It's like, you know, this really vague high level stuff. We said, no, let's let's get into some details. Hmm. What are some specific things that the city of Vancouver could do that would make your life easier? And so we went through a few different rounds of this with people from the world of theater, people from the world of dance, people from uh, the world of music. And we came up with this, you know, it's, it's, it's like 20 parts, um, 20 point arts and culture platform that breaks down into two basic ideas. The first one is to champion artists and cultural organizations. So making the kinds of changes that make life easier for artists and for, you know, small scale grassroots arts organizations like Locals Lounge or like others to succeed. So that's changes to how we do cultural heritage zoning, keeping venues in place so that they have a lower tax burden, diverting city funds um, that are being used, or like making the use of city funds and the grants that we award to things like the art gallery or the space center or other you know, arts organizations, the big ticket items. These grants are now going to, like the idea is to make these grants um, contingent on, you have to be talking about things like indigenous justice. You have to be talking about things like climate. Like this is, these are, there's a role for arts and artists to play in advancing the important work that the city is doing towards reconciliation and we should be funding that. We shouldn't just expect it. We should support it. Um, we, there's a thing that uh, the city charges extra money to developers for something called a community amenity contribution. And so if you want to build an um, apartment building in Vancouver, you have to, it's, it's basically a tax. And what, what we're saying is that the tax um, that typically goes towards 
you know, a, a parklet or a piece of public art or something like that. But it should it should be directed towards local artists, local galleries, local exhibit, exhibitors, um, and you know, take that money that's going that that's part of the real estate economy and direct it back towards the arts and culture economy, recognizing that as we're building places for people to live. We also need to be building a city that's worth living in. Mm. Um, so that's a big part. That's the, the sort of the first part of the, of the platform. Um, the second part of the platform is something that's really interesting, like, that I'm personally very invested in, which is the idea of arts and culture in public spaces. So um, I didn't really talk about my professional background. Um, but I have a, a PhD from the School of Population and Public Health at UBC, and an area that I'm really interested in from, from a public health perspective is the impact that social isolation has on health. And as I was saying before, a lot of people find Vancouver to be a, a very lonely and isolated city, and that's not good for our health as individuals, it's not good for our health at a population level, and it's not good for the health of our democracy. And there are also huge areas in the city where there are no venues, there's no art and culture, there's no exhibition spaces, and people kind of just live in communities that don't have that opportunity to connect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is very, I think everyone, hopefully everyone who's listening to this um, has had the experience of what it's like to be in a room sharing art and sharing a vibe with someone and how that really grounds you it's a very human experience and living without that is going to be you know your 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 life is worse off if you don't have uh, art and the ability to share it with other people yeah and so we are looking at changing rules um shortening permit times um revising the noise bylaw system um using cultural heritage designations, finding safe busker spaces in the city, um, and really just putting art and culture everywhere and making it easier for local organizations. If you are, you know, you, you, are, you, you like bluegrass music, you're a little bluegrass collective that's in, in Carisdale and you're looking for a spot to play, that, that should be easy. It should be easy for you to find space to do that. If you're or a Filipino hip-hop dance group, that should be easy for you to do. You should be able to find a place to do that and bring people together. And I know, you know, talking to these same people who helped me put this platform together, a lot of them desperately want to grow and expand, but they don't have venues. Um, so many venues have closed. Yeah. And they can't access things like parks or, or streets or public spaces because the permitting process is so onerous and incredibly expensive. And so people just either don't do it or they sort of do it basically illegally. And I think back to one of the things that really pushed me into this space was I, I, a friend of mine runs a thing called the ice cream truck. And they, you know, set, they, they have a literal truck that is full of like music equipment and ice cream. And they set up impromptu stages huh. with a full sound system in parks around the city. And they put on some of the most, incredibly talented emerging acts, incredibly diverse lineup of, of styles and, and of, of, you know, um, it's, this, it's one of the coolest things that's happening in Vancouver. And they tried to do this at Sunset Beach last July and 23 police officers showed yeah. up. Yeah, They shut the whole thing down, confiscated his equipment, arrested one of the performers, this 19 year old guy wow. playing his first ever show. And jail got arrested. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, not just arrested, but like spent the night in jail. Wow. For for trying for yeah, for, for trying to play a concert in a park. And like we paid for that. We paid money yeah, for that. that to happen. And it's the opposite of what like no one in the city wants to see that happen, presumably. It doesn't make us safer that that kid spent the night in jail. It is opposed to what the city says it wants in terms of arts and culture. Like we passed this music strategy, we passed this arts and culture strategy, and no part of that strategy did it say, let's make sure that we lock up 19-year-old hip-hop artists um, because mm. that's, that's how we protect arts and culture in the city. 
Um, but that's what the city is set up to do now. And so we need to like really examine um, A, what the, how possible is it for people to actually do this in a way that is legal and safe? And B, like, what are we, what are we spending? Our, are we spending money to stop the things that we want to happen from happening? Um, like, do we want, do we want concerts or do we want cops? Like, what is the, what is a better expression of what makes a city better for people? I mean, that's you, that's such a, um, that's such a sad example too, you know, like you've, as you say, there's so much negative pressure on the music scene, whether it's the bylaws, noise bylaws, uh, permitting, uh, lack of venues, lack of like just being, you know, venues being able to afford to exist, you, you know, that forces people, it drives people to do, to start these sort of underground solutions, right? Like the ice cream truck, which, yeah. you know, really is just people trying to connect and share art and then we you know we have 23 cops show up or whatever it was and we're spending a terrible you know this insane amount of money on yeah. on policing people just trying to share art and then uh, i mean i it's heartbreaking to hear about a musician getting spending the night in jail on their first show did it, did i hear that correctly it was their first show yeah 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 that's that's really sad um um, I remember the story you told me about your first show mm, in your backyard. You know what? That's a for, really good you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, Ian. And, I, and, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ian. Uh, for, for, those, for those who don't know, I'm going to try to, I'm gonna try to rehash Jasper's story here. But okay. Like, go ahead. He put together, put together this band with some friends and did a show, and he and his dad, like, built a stage in their backyard, and they got to play, but they only had, like, 20 minutes of material and so when this concert ended they were just like oh i guess people want more i guess we'll just play our whole set list again and so you know that was that was the beginning of, of your musical career but then like look at what you've gone on to do not only as a recording artist and and you know the joy that your your music has brought to people not just in vancouver but around the world but also your grounding in the musical community and your experience of that has led you to this position that you have now on the show that you're doing as well that radiates outward mm. and because your start in the music community was you know welcoming and encouraged and fostered and supported we benefit all of us benefit for years from that Whereas imagine what would have happened if you'd gone through all that work and then the cops had shown up to enforce a noise bylaw and you'd spent your birthday in jail. We, you know what, Ian, that was, thank you, by the way, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, that was a, that was an a, almost perfect retelling of the story. That's exactly what happened. However, the one detail that I probably, maybe I didn't uh, include in my first telling was that the police actually did show up and shut us down. Oh, yeah, oh, there were two two cops. I mean, they were to my. I'm 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 grateful that they were kind about it. But yeah, two cops showed up in plain clothes, actually, like not uniformed. And after we started replaying songs, they uh, they shut us down. Um, so, but I I, do, I take your point. Like uh, I've you know there I, I I did have I was received by people in the music community at open mics. You know, people like our friend Patrick. Um, yeah, you know who who are who were showing up um, for for everyone listening at home. Our friend Patrick was another is another local musician who hosted a, an open mic at, at the Wired Monk, a, a cafe that's no longer around uh, for years and years and years. Um, you know, like Ian was showing up every week uh, to create opportunities for people to to get on stage to connect and make friends. Um, because people like Patrick and like you were doing this work. Uh, yeah, I, I, I felt like staying in Vancouver and trying to be creative and musical was viable, you know, um, not like economically, but at least socially and, and in a way that made it worthwhile, you know. Um, and yeah. without that, you know, this is why people leave, right? People leave because they can't, there's just, they don't see a path forward here to, to live the no. life they want to lead. And then so we lose, um, we lose our, our talent and our, our community organizers and, and, you know, that th th everyone suffers when that happens. 
And I mean, to your point about economic viability, I don't want to skip over that too quickly right. because that's another major part of One City's platform is cool. about housing affordability and recognizing that we have a city that is becoming in- increasingly unaffordable for people who make less than, you know, eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the, you know, if you want to buy a house, a single detached home in the city, you need to have an annual income, household income of about a quarter million dollars. Yeah. I don't, I don't know who in the music industry has that kind of income. No. I mean, I, mean, I would, I would, I would think that if you want to make $250,000 as a household, if you're a musician, you've got to marry someone who makes about $300,000 a year. <laughs> Yeah, that's about that's about you know, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, and so, like, the question becomes: Do we want a city that has a local music scene? Yeah, exactly. Do we want a city where artists can come here and stay and survive? And if the answer is yes, and I think most people would say yes, we want that. We do not want to be a city that is devoid of local culture. We don't want to be a you know this incredibly diverse city with people from all these different backgrounds but not have any like way to express that culture or show that culture. Um, then we, if we want that, we have to design a city for it. And so the one city platform has a lot of detail on how we're going to increase the amount and the diversity of housing, including housing that is specifically for artists. So like live work studios cool. for artists, cool. um, which are in very, very short supply in the city, but we need a lot more of. Yeah, they're scarce. Um, so that not only not only can artists find places to play, but they have somewhere to go after the show. <laughs> oh my God, Ian, this is I mean, just to share a personal anecdote, like this is so top of mind for me right now, because like my, my wife and I we're we uh we got a one year old now at home and we we need to move. Like we just have to. We need more space. And it's so we're yeah. I'm like actively looking for a new home right now in Vancouver and it's like I got to tell you, it's really, it's a sad and frustrating uh, experience right now, trying to um, find something that's affordable. Yeah, yeah, something that, I mean, yeah, it's bleak. It's really hard. And it's like, we've had the conversation, like, well, maybe we actually, you know, can't stay. Like, you know, it it feels hostile. Like, it feels like the city's hostile towards us and like, that we don't belong. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it's really tough. And that's, a really common sentiment. And the fact is like the, the thing that's crazy for me is like, as I was sort of getting, paying more attention to municipal politics, so much of which is focused on, on conversations about housing, um, about 70% of the residential area in the city. The only thing that you can build on that is a single detached house. Um, yeah. There's some flexibility to build like laneway houses now and yeah. stuff, but that's not like we have a massive housing shortage yeah. and laneway houses are not going to be the answer when 70% of the city is zoned for single family housing. And there's a, a basically an effective ban on apartments. So you can't have a four or a five or a six floor rental building in 70% of the city. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of housing that I have lived in as an artist. It's kind of thing that you can afford. I mean, I had another job, but that's still, you know, people can, can find places to rent that are relatively inexpensive or at least affordable, but we just don't build those. And in fact, in order to, in order to keep up with the, the demand for housing, what we've been forced to do as a city is knock a lot of those places down. And then rebuild them taller and smaller so that we can have more housing. Yeah. But they end up being smaller. So it's not good for someone who's got a growing child yeah. or growing family. Like imagine if you wanted to have something crazy like two kids, you know? Yeah. Um, like just madness. And oh, we I, just, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way, like even just the one, it's hard. And the kinds of housing that we, that we are able to build, that we're forced to build is small apartment building like 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 big apartment buildings and small apartments yeah 
And so what we need is a, a variety. We need co-ops. We need co-housing. We need hmm. for people who are, you know, who are unhoused. We need the kind of social and supportive housing that federal and provincial governments will will subsidize. We mm-hmm. need a lot of different types of housing, including housing for people who are making, you know, eighty, ninety thousand dollars. Like they they need places to live too, but they're going to be squatting on not squatting, but they're going to be living in the same kind of housing that someone who makes sixty thousand dollars a year is living in because there's nothing for them to move up into. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we end up with these we end up squeezing certain kinds of people out. And if we don't make big radical changes to how we have designed the city, then the only people who will be able to live here are the people who had who bought their houses in the 1980s and 1990s when they were affordable to buy a house mm-hmm. and have been sitting on the land since then. Um, or it's going to be people who are making money that artists can only dream of. Yeah. And then, you know, I, and then what, what, like, what will the city look like when, when all the creatives, you know, have, have left, right? What is there, what does that do to the social fabric here? Um, what, you know, if I, I just, I can imagine if I was in a position to buy a a house here, like I'd, I'd want, I would expect, I would want to like be able to enjoy my living here, you know, and not just having a, having a, a lovely home, but like, you know, going out on the weekends and, and, and seeing art and, and that won't, yeah. that won't be, that won't be an option. Um, so it's, is it, is it, is it like, yeah. is it like, it's, so it's a zoning issue. Like, like, um, like, a, is it, is this like NIMBY stuff? Why we can't build more like apartments, like near single family ho- housing. It's a, is, is it zoning? It's, it is zoning. I, the pattern of previous city government, has been to do spot rezoning, so individual site by site rezoning hearings. Hmm. And so someone will take a proposal and they'll say, "I want to turn this lot. I bought this land, this land from the from the owner." Uh, and then obviously there's a whole subtext about what it means to buy and sell stolen indigenous land. Mm-hmm. But we you know, that's a thing that <laughs> we need to sort of keep in mind. And also talking about, you know, building and, and power and elections and all of that stuff. But, you know, I, if, I, if I bought this land and I want, I want to knock down a house and I want to rezone this land so that it can be, you know, 10 apartments. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, two floors, five apartments per floor. And, the city council has to has to sit and it has to listen to all of the people who are for and against and they make an individual decision about that one piece of land. It takes up a massive amount of public time. Like these consultations, hearings take hours. Yeah. And the people who don't want it to happen are always the ones who show up. And right. we know from the political science literature that they're not representative even of the neighborhoods that they claim to represent, these are these are people who tend to be comfortably housed. They tend to be older. They tend to be wealthier. They tend to be whiter than the city at large. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortably housed. There's nothing wrong with having money. But when you're not, when when the elected body is only hearing from a certain perspective of society, it starts to make decisions that predominantly benefit that segment. And I would argue that that is the segment that least needs government assistance. Hmm. The people who need help are the people who do not have access to stable and dignified housing. And instead we've set up a system that predominantly listens to the people who don't have that need. It's completely backwards. And so, yeah, the, 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 the rate of change is very slow. And so what we're proposing with one city is to just say there's no more neighborhoods anywhere in the city where you can only have one type of housing. We're just going to be done with that altogether. We're going to make it possible for people to build up to six floors of rental housing. And so six, the reason for, for six 
is because that's the height that um, mass timber as a construction material sort of maxes out. And it's something that the nonprofit housing and the rental housing, um, the development industry has told us, like, this is the kind of housing that we can make financially viable so that we're not losing money on it. Okay. Um, and make it possible to build apartment buildings scattered throughout the city. I don't know um, how much time you, well, you remember the King's Head. Yeah. And, and we talked about the King's Head. So that neighborhood in Kent, that part of Kent, has this great mix of there's apartments and there's single family homes mm-hmm. and there's tall buildings and there's short buildings. There's a lot of different types of housing. And it's the same in the West End. So yeah. The West End has, you know, lots of towers, but also smaller heritage homes and like mid-rise apartments. And we're saying that those neighborhoods are great and people love living in them. And let's just build more of them. Yeah. No doubt. Let's build them in every neighborhood, every part of the city. Well, I love that, Ian. Um, we should take a quick musical break. Um, what uh, you've you've brought some music with you, uh, Ian. So I wonder yeah. if, if you would like to throw to one of your selections. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm still doing local slams. That's still happening. In yeah. fact, the next uh, the next showcase is happening tomorrow night at Gilson Company in Gastown. And every month I invite a local uh, music curator to present a lineup of their three favorite artists. And um, this month I've got Kentia Kerbin from uh, Music BC and Advanced Music Canada choosing our lineup. And Mm -hmm. Kentia has chosen three really, really great local black artists who uh, I've had the pleasure of seeing live a number of times. And she's really, really impressed with this lineup that she's picked. Uh, and so this first one is by an artist called Ducola, um, who is a, a, a rising singer-songwriter. Um, she is ex- exceptionally talented and sort of getting industry attention when she was still in high school. Um, and she's just released um, this, new, uh, this new single that we're going to play today. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to see her perform. She's a wonderful person and a, and a really, really, really talented um, performer. So, um, yeah, let's play uh, play Fabric of My Being. That'd be cool. Mama always told me Don't you forget where you come from is a beautiful story we're from kings and queens don't let them tell you wrong wear it like hope and glory let your name carry on sing it in every song the braids in my head they tell a story the name that i In the fabric of my being Daddy always tells me Never let them take your grace or mercy I'll never let it fade I'ma let the light shine on me Cause my soul is deep like the rivers
Bukola's Fabric of My Being here on CITR 101.9 FM. That is a beautiful song. Um, and you said, Ian, that you can uh, that listeners can catch Bukola tomorrow night at Gilton Company for Locals Lounge. Was that correct? That's right. Yeah, so uh, it'll be it'll be a, a really, really great lineup. It's going to be uh, Bukola. It's going to be um, bilingual hip-hop artist and music Vancouver legend Missy D. And it's going to be another hip hop artist who I really, whose music is truly amazing called Arami the Corrector. Um, this is a really stacked lineup. Uh, no matter what kind of music you like, you're going to find something for you at, at local sounds, especially tomorrow night. So yeah, come down, check it out. Show starts at 9 PM. Um, and entry is um, first come first serve. You're mm. going to pay 10 bucks for every set that you stick around. So you stay for two sets, you pay 20 bucks. And uh, I would urge listeners to go early because uh, Guilt and Company tends to fill up, especially on nights like these. Uh, that's great, Ian. Um, that's a stacked lineup. Uh, Going to be a great evening. Um, so, yeah. hey, I wonder um, we're, uh, if we could spend our last segment together talking about exactly how the election works and what voters need to know if they, you know, to participate, to vote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Anyone who's been living in BC for at least six months and who lives in the city of Vancouver is eligible to vote if they're a citizen of Canada. And this is sort of the basic eligibility criteria for municipal elections all over the province. Um, if you are, if you reside at UBC and you don't have another um, address, there is a separate balloting process, a separate election for you, but you can still vote for school board. It's a little bit confusing. Yeah. I highly suggest going to the Vancouver Votes website uh, and checking your eligibility there. But the other thing that's confusing about Vancouver municipal elections is that they do not operate the same way as provincial or federal elections that people might be more used to. So as I mentioned, I'm part of a political party called One City Vancouver, which is a local municipal party. It's not connected to the federal parties. It's not connected to the NDP or the liberals or the conservatives. It doesn't break down that way. Um, Vancouver has what is called an at-large voting system. And what that means is that all elected officials can get their votes from anywhere in the city. They don't have to represent a particular neighborhood. Hmm. Um, yeah, so systems where you elect someone to represent your area, are that's called a ward system. And Vancouver does not have that. It has this at-large system, which means that if you live in Vancouver, you can vote for anyone who is running. And because there's a low barrier to entry, it only costs 100 bucks to get your name on the ballot. There are something like 130 people running in this election. Wow. It's a lot. That's a lot. Um, and so to add to that, um, you're actually not just voting in one election on the ballot. You're voting in four different elections that happen simultaneously. So you're voting for the mayor and you're voting for city council and you're voting for the park board and you're voting for the school board all on the same ballot. And some of the people run, some people run with a political party, some people run independently, and it can be really confusing. Right. Um, but there are, um, there are 10 seats on city council. And so every, every eligible voter can vote for up to 10 people. You don't have to vote for 10. You can right. vote for as few as one or even skip. And if you say, I don't care who's on council, I only care about school board, then you can absolutely just vote for the school board people and skip it. But you get up to 10 votes for city council. You can vote for whoever you want. So if you, you know, if, if there's one party who you think, oh, these guys are going to do a really good job on arts and culture, but I like this other party's approach to, you know, um, childcare. 
you you can vote for people from both parties if you are voting for you can you know some parties are voting are, are, are have nominated multiple candidates for city council so i'm running alongside christine boyle who i mentioned earlier who's mm-hmm. currently she's running for re-election as well as matthew norris who is the president of the urban native youth association um, and just guy from Lacroix First Nation, uh, really smart, uh, really like motivated and knowledgeable on issues about like climate and housing, but also indigenous justice. Mm-hmm. And I'm running um, with Iona Bonami, who is a senior transport planner at the city. So if you bus, if you bike, however you get around the city, like Iona understands it inside and out. That's her area. And cool. so that's the that's the four of us running from one city. Yeah. And if you say, you know, I like I like this. Matt Norris guy. This Matt Norris guy seems like the kind of person who I vote for, but Ian Cromwell talks way too much and I do not want to vote for him. <laughs> you can just vote for Matt and Iona and Christine. Gotcha. Um, you can vote. You do not have to vote everyone from a particular party. You can vote for parties that have completely op- opposing ideologies. You can vote for people who have no, who have no party affiliation at all. Um, and so it's different from like federal provincial elections where you vote for for one party and that's who you hope wins the seat. Mm-hmm. That is not how municipal elections work. Okay. Right now in council, it's made up of people from a bunch of different parties, from one city, from COPE, from the Green Party, um, from NPA, and then there are a handful of independents as well. It's a mixed bag. Okay. And that has meant that some things have been very difficult to do because people don't all agree and there's no one who can make them agree. And the mayor doesn't have the power to overrule them. The mayor is the 11th vote on council. So it takes six votes to do anything. Okay. Um, So arguably who's on council is much, much more important than who is the mayor, but the mayor gets all the attention. Right. Um, And then the park board and school board elections, same thing. There might be people who, there are some parties that are running people for all of the all of the positions. And there are some parties that are only focused on council or only focused on park board. And so it is objectively very confusing process. And it's frustrating because there's no obvious place to go to get a side-by-side breakdown of what the different parties um, stand for, what they do and, and sort of whose vote to represent you, it's it's quite challenging, and we ask a lot for Vancouver voters. So I actually wrote out uh, a guide, a sort of 101 first-time voting. Here's the basic stuff that you need to know. Amazing. Um, yeah, and I've got that up um, on. You can if you if you look for my for my Instagram, it's easy to find. Uh, or if you email me at ian at onecityvancouver.ca, I'm happy to, to provide anyone who's curious with a copy. It also contains some information. Um, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I try to keep it as, as nonpartisan as possible, um, but it will give you some, it does contain some links and resources um, to other places where you can go to get some of the information about um, what the different parties stand for. I also recommend a podcast called The Canby Report. Hmm. Um, they they spend a lot of time talking about municipal issues, and they just released uh, an episode where they kind of recapped the whole race, all of the parties and all of the sort of story of what's happened in this election, so that people can get a sense of who's promising what and uh, who is likely to win. And then also they, uh, they endorse certain candidates. Um, and so if you're looking for just a quick background. You want to take an hour to do your homework. Um, that I would say is a great resource to check out as well. That's great, Ian. I can. I'll track it down and I'll, I'll post it with the show notes for this episode too, so uh, so people oh, can amazing. find it. Yeah, um, Ian. How are you going to spend your last few days with the election on Saturday? Uh, what does your week look like? One of the things about running with a grassroots independent party is that a lot of people haven't heard of us, right? And when what I've found over the past, I've been you know running for about a year now. I started this journey in, in, in November of last year. When people find out what they <laughs> what we stand for, we get pretty good like pretty broad agreement about like these are good solutions. This is actually going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And 
So a huge part of what I spend my time doing is just knocking on people's doors and talking to them cool. about politics. Cool. Um, so that's what I'm going to be doing for this past, for this next few days is just try to have as many conversations with as many people as I can. Yeah. I, uh, I can imagine it's crunch time for you and it's going to be a busy week. Um, Ian, we've got a couple minutes left. Is there any part, like final message you want to, you want to share with the listeners? A better city, a more musical and connected and vibrant city is on the ballot in this election. One of the major parties has been endorsed by the police union. I think that that's pretty scary that we have police getting directly involved in partisan politics. And I also think that there's a very good reason to vote for a more hopeful and optimistic view of the city and, uh, and the world that we live in. And this is all going to come down to turnout. Vancouver elections have very, very low turnout rates. It's below 40%. I'm really hoping that if you haven't cast a ballot before and you haven't gotten involved, recognize that city decisions have the biggest impact out of any level of government on your day-to-day life. Hmm. And if you want more concerts and you want fewer venues to be closed and you want places where you can live and you want places where you can have a, a future. And if you want to feel, if you want to think that you belong in, now is the time to vote. You, early voting is open t- um, Tuesday and Thursday this week, so today until 8 and Thursday until 8 and election day is Saturday, October 15th. It's time to cast a ballot. I hope you'll cast it for me, but even if you don't, it's important for our voices to be heard because otherwise, the same people who have who they've been listening to so far are going to be the people who decide the future of the city. And I don't think that's a very good future. Well, Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to hang out with me on air. Thanks for teaching me about municipal politics. Thanks for all the hard work you're doing. Um, it's been really great to, I followed your journey uh, since the start and it's been really great to watch. And um it sounds like you're doing great things over at One City, so um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on CITR and uh, talk about your vision. Um, for everyone listening at home, uh, you can find out more about Ian Cromwell uh, at, at onecityvancouver.ca. You can look up Locals Lounge on on Instagram. Um, Ian, where else can, can people find you before we sign off? Instagram is the best place to go. Cool. Uh, my, my, hand, my my personal handle on Instagram is uh, Cromunist, C-R-O-M-M-U-N-I-S-T, or you can go to linktr.ee slash icromwell. Awesome. Well, Ian, uh, thanks so much. Best of luck when this with the, uh, the election on Saturday uh, and your week this week connecting with people. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to chat with you today, Jasper. Appreciate it a lot. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. This is Noise Complaint. We've been chatting with One City candidate and local musician Ian Cromwell. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Stick around because we have Take One up next and their coverage of the Vancouver International Film Festival.